Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now. From the dirt tracks across Australia, welcome to Inside Speedway with Dennis Newman and Craig Revell. Hello and welcome to Inside Speedway. What a show we have for you today. A few weeks ago, Tony Whitlock caught up with Brooke Tatnell and he talked about the change in the guard and promotion of Speedway and what he thinks needs to happen. We also had last weekend the 60th running of the Australian Sprint Car Championship and Jock Gooder won his first Australian title over there in the West taking the number one home to Tasmania for the first time. We also had the Formula 500 Australian Championship, and that was won by Dylan Beveridge, who I spoke to for Inside Speedway. Joining us on the line is the back-to-back Formula 500 champion of Australia, Dylan Beveridge. Dylan, congratulations. It's a long way from the Latrobe area of Tasmania to the Kiwana Motorplex, but the trip paid off in spades. Yeah, and no, it was um, definitely a long way to come, but uh, worth it in the end and worth all the hours driving and the fuel we burnt to get there. So, no, definitely very happy to get it done. Going back-to-back, too, is an amazing feat. How have you found the confidence you got from last year's win move you towards making sure you got this one done? Um, Yeah, look, it was... Last year was sort of one of those years where we went into the title, um, you know, a hot favourite. You know, that sort of wasn't much of a secret, you know, being our home state and and our form, um, you know, in the previous year. So... Going back to back was probably a lot different, you know, coming to Perth, you know, you couldn't get any further away from home. So coming, you know, going to Perth and then and then winning it there was, um, yeah, it was just on another level compared to last year. Um, I'm only the, the second Tasmanian to win it away, you know, away from the state. So, you know, that that's pretty cool. But yeah, the confidence is, um, yeah, it's huge now. Like it's, yeah, it feels great. <laughs> and you've been, you've been running on the mainland quite a bit over the last couple of summers so it's not as if the uh, a1 just heads down to tassie and no one ever sees it again no so that's right like we um i've ran i ran over here one year uh, pre-covid and then every year after covid i've raced uh over here so it's sort of just um i guess you know it's cool when you rock up like down home you know you'll probably get 12 or 14 cars show up for a meeting where over here you know you'll get 35 to 40 you know on a club show so Having those extra cars to race with is just next level as well. And it wasn't a runaway success this last meeting. A couple of red flags, or it was a couple of yellows, late in the race, kept bunching the field up and not letting you get too far away. Yeah, I was sort of, um, I was sort of hoping to get, you know, uh, you know, green to checker would have been nice, but with 30 cars on the track, you know, you're bound to get some yellows. But, yeah, towards the end of the race there, I was sort of... Um, I probably wasn't getting worried, but um, I was probably just more anxious, if anything, just to get it, just to get it over with. Um, I knew my car, you know, I knew how good my car was, and 
they've got the big screen there, but um, actually had a real bad vibration the whole race. So I couldn't actually really see, you know, how close anyone was on the big screen. But yeah, look, it was um, it was really good to get it done. And and uh, yeah, the yellow, the yellows and the reds just weren't really um, playing my way. I guess I just get into traffic and they'd come out. So. Sometimes you want the traffic so that you can, you know, you can pass some cars really quick and then hope that the guys behind you struggle a bit. But everyone in Western Australia is really good in traffic as well, so it's sort of hard to, um, you know, know, you know, especially racing people um, that you don't have. You know, I've never raced in Western Australia before and never raced, you know, majority of the field. So it was very hard in uh, lap traffic to know how good they were going to be. But, yeah, all in all, it was good, but, um, you know, I probably would have preferred a race that went to green to checker. <laughs> and this year's championship, being on the same uh, bill as the Australian Sprint Car Championship, what did that mean? Because I can imagine some people say, oh, it diminishes it, it's only going to be second fiddle. But what did it mean to be on such a big night of Speedway? Yeah, it was um, next level. Like there was ten thousand people at the Perth Motorplex on Saturday night. Like I've never raced in in front of that many people, you know, ever. And I'll probably never get the chance to, um, you know, to do that again. So having the sprint cars there just added another prestige. You know, sprint cars. You know, it's no secret that they get. Um, you know, they bring all the fans in. So, you know, just to to run as a support class to the sprint cars Australian title. You know, that's just next level. So. It's, um, you know, Perth Motorplex done a great job. We, or personally, I didn't feel second best all weekend. You know, it was um, it was just as much, you know, the 500s weekend as it was the sprint cars. So Perth Motorplex, take my hat off to them. They've done, a, you know, an awesome job to, you know, accommodate both classes so well. And I guess they are a, a track that has the infrastructure there to be able to put two huge fields in the pits as well as on the track. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Their, their complex is phenomenal. Um, I've never seen anything quite like it. You know, it, it reminds me of, um, you know, like the Formula One, you know, when you see that on TV. Like everything, it's had its place, you know, down to, you know, the ambulance having a parking bay. You know, everything was just perfect. And I, yeah, I, I can't fault anything that I've seen at the Motorplex, you know, one bit. It was just, yeah, it was unreal. Um, you know, their organisation and everything like that. So, yeah, I take my hat off to to Perth Motorplex and all their volunteers and, and uh, employees for, for what they've done this weekend. Now, you are only part way or three quarters of the way through this season. What's the rest of this season going to look like, knowing that, uh, well, everyone wants to beat the Australian champion? Um I get on the boat. Uh, I actually get on a plane tomorrow to head home, and then our our work. Um, we're farmers, so our work sort of starts, you know, uh, middle of middle of March. So I'll probably do one more race down home, and then then I'll pack it up and put her in the shed, and uh, you know, start organising for next year. But we'll probably start our season a lot earlier uh, than we did this year. I think we started November this year, so we'll try and get going August, August September. We'll be up in Queensland. But we'll just see what happens when the calendars come out. Um, yeah, and we'll try and put in a, another big year on the road if we can. So, Where did you start your racing? Are you one of the many sons that have taken it up after a father or was motor racing something completely foreign to the family? Yeah, so my old man raced Formula 500 back in the two-stroke days, um, you know, back with you know, Ken Wilshire and, 
uh, well, I guess Matty Brown when he first started, um, you know, back in the two-stroke days. So he yeah ran ran back then and sold up uh, probably when I was twelve, and then he bought back in, he bought a you know a left-hand mount four-cylinder um, off Ken Wilshire. Uh, back 2013, 2014, I think it was, and he ended up crashing that pretty bad and pretty much junk on the whole thing. And anyway, I got I turned 16 or 17, and I'd I'd got old enough, and I pretty much said to the old boy, you know, it's about you know it's about me now, it's about my time. So I fixed the car, and I went racing at 17 or 18. So yeah, I guess you you know you could say it's a father son combination, you know, like a lot of other races these days. And Driven, who are prominently on your car, what's the background with their support of you? Uh, so Driven, they're the uh, the chassis manufacturer. So Jake Agopian from uh, California, that's where the chassis come from. So Jake was actually there on the weekend. So Driven is their, uh, I guess, brand name, I guess you'd say. And they're supporting you uh, to keep you on the road? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So GW Racing in... Um, uh, Queensland are the Australian dealer, so so Graham and Wendy, uh, Hart, um, yeah, they're you know uh, well they sort of only come on for this weekend, but they're yeah definitely supporting you know into the future, which is really good. I'll tell you what, they're a sponsor to be on. They had their car win the uh, <laughs> classic, and now the F five hundred they're supporting, taking out the Aussie title. That's that's not a bad run. Yeah, no, nah, no, nah, it's very good. So no, nah, very appreciative for what they've done to me just this weekend and. Hopefully it's a, a relationship that we can keep going for, for a lot more years to come. Now, you mentioned you're on the farm normally. What's the – is this your training regime? Is it a – what sort of farming are you doing? Uh, yes, uh, spud, spud farming. So, yeah, we uh, just dig and cart spuds for a lot of other people down in Tasmania. So, yeah, um, and then we have yeah, we have a couple of prime movers, so do it with the truck driving here and there in the winter months, just helping a few companies out, you know, if they need it. When you looked at the track at Kiwana being so big, so open, and knowing that the cushion was going to be a long way up because the sprinters would have put it up there, were you thinking, this could be an engine killer? Um, yes and no. Like, I guess motors, you know, you've, you've got to have a good motor these days, but, but motor isn't everything. Like, um, I I probably sacrifice a bit of speed, in you know, when my motors get built for reliability. Um, you know, you, you can... You can make these motors fast, but only last one night, you know. So you've got to, you know, sometimes you've got to sacrifice um, speed for reliability. And and my engines, you know, I wasn't concerned, you know, throughout the whole weekend. Um, as long as you don't, you know, rev the guts out of them and, and keep them nice and cool, um, you know, within reason, you you know, they, they shouldn't hurt motors. So, but then again, you, you see some people revving the date out of them and, and then they wonder why they blow up. So, you know, it's... It's here nor there. A big track or a small track, even on a small track, you can you know you can make them rev and they'll explode just the same as they will on a big track. Well, Dylan, thanks very much for your time, and we look forward to uh, seeing you back up. Where, where did you say you were going to have your last run? Uh, down in Hobart, I think it'll be on the fifth of March. Uh, no, at Hobart, yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, so that's the plan, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, congratulations once again, two-time winner of the 500s. And you're happy with that division? You, you're not looking to step up anywhere soon? Oh, I think uh, that's everyone's dreams to run a sprint car. But at this point in time, financially, I can't, um, you know, I couldn't afford to do it 
you know, the way I'd want to. So I, I think, you know, at this point in time, we'll just stay where we are. And maybe in the future, if, you know, the cost of things come down a bit, then we might look into that. Or if, you know, an opportunity arises where I can, you know, go and step into, you know, a, a ride or, or something like that, or, or, you know, take a motor along and, you know, get, and drive someone else's car. But at this point in time, we'll just keep, you know, doing the 500 thing and, and see what, you know, the future brings. Well, it was certainly a great night for the Tassie drivers with Jock Gooder getting his title as well. You uh, you guys have got some big trophies bound there on the Apple Isle. Yeah, no, it's very good. So, Dylan, thanks very much for your time joining us here on the show. Too easy. Thanks, bud. Cheers. Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics magazine on sale now. While the Classic might have had some rain delays, it was still a great event won by Brock Hallett. Tony Whitlock had a chance to catch up with Australia's greatest sprint car driver, Brooke Tatnall. Welcome to Inside Motorsport. I'm with one of men who has seen most and done most in Australian Speedway sprint cars, Brooke Tatnall. My first time talking to you, and I'm very glad to meet you. Your name is writ large in this sport. Yeah, I've got a pretty pretty good uh, resume of a father <laughs> i'm riding on the coattails of his success and the legacy he put forward to us and you know we've been able to win a few races along the way and and ride on that crest okay yeah but you've got a cv that cannot be bettered really in this country yeah i mean just look we the longevity is something that i'm proud of this is uh my 35th year of running sprint cars and i've won uh, i've won feature races every year since the day i started for that 35 years so you're the, the longevity sprint cars. Yeah, yeah the longevity factor yes yeah i agree with yeah, you or as someone called me today the grandpa of speedway so <laughs> this event um, yeah, the second night of the waterable classic unfortunately has been rained out mm-hmm. but that's something that's happened to other times in your life you've, you've had these sort of events come up yeah look I, i've been here in years gone past back you know i've, I've been here at four o'clock in the morning trying to finish the night's racing um because of rain or someone crashed and tore the lights down and then we had a blackout so i mean this isn't the first time it, it, it's a little different you know when you've got that many people in the grandstands um like when it's a sellout crowd every night you're trying to do everything to get that on for those race fans and for the drivers well a lot of guys don't realize that if we get weather tomorrow and it rains out they're not sitting there looking at any prize money so uh you know there's, there's different scenarios but i've seen it they've got to look at what well, people have got to sometimes take a step back and it's not all about you and your race team um, what benefits you and your race team. It's about what's going to benefit the sport. And, I mean, we're at a little bit of a... Uh, not a changing of the guard, but a new breed that are coming through that probably haven't been around, haven't had to be invested in the benefit of the sport, um, and, they're, and they're trying to make names for themselves. I've met some of these new young drivers, and they're very impressive, and, and one of them today... You know, quickest overall time in um, Newton. Um, yep, Ryan Newman. Ryan Newman. Queenslander and, and, you know, their first foray into the sport. Mm-hmm. He is a new breed of young driver, but at about the same sort of age as you were when you started this. Yeah, I started at 16. The law used to be 17, and uh, Mike Raymond, my dad, and a group of people got together to get sport and wrecked to drop the age to 16 so kids could start racing. Um, and 
you know, when we came through, we came through at a little bit different generation and different. There wasn't mega money in the sport back when we got into it. You know, uh, mum and dad could still own a race car and come in. Like, you look at these rigs around here, you know, you've got kids coming into racing now at 18, 16, 18 years old, and they're rolling in here with million-dollar operations, half a million-dollar rigs. It's uh, it, it certainly changed. Um, and... The, the, the style of racing has changed. Um, we've got There's a lot of talent. You know, most of these kids have grown up watching YouTube. You've got in-car cameras where you can learn from in-car cameras. Um, <clears throat> they're all iRacing, so you've got that realistic of um, race knowledge on simulators. So they've got an advantage over previous generations that didn't have that. Um, we're lucky to have a bloody mobile phone. So, you know, they're, they're ahead of the game once they start. But, you know, that also creates uh, a different driving style that maybe shows a little bit of disrespect or race with disrespect or a lot of people know mum and dad's got a lot of money invested or mum and dad have a lot of money and they're not worried about how much equipment gets tore up where back when we started, um, if we did some of these moves that as a race fan you can sit up there and go, oh, that's unbelievable. As a racer... We had the senior races. We'd come down and they'd give you a little chip up over the year and say, hey, this stuff costs a lot of money, boys. Because you know, this sport is, is high-speed chess, mm-hmm. very high-speed chess. I mean, it's wonderful to actually see drivers such as yourself and, and you know, younger drivers like Fadden and Co., the way in which you can see them setting up moves. Yep. And that's something, obviously, experience teaches you. Do you find that... Um, an enormous advantage you've got there. You can think back and you go, right, this is what I need to do. Oh, oh without doubt. I mean, look, <clears throat> I'm bringing up a, my 12-year-old son now who's a, who will be a far better... If he gets the opportunity, he'll be a far better race car driver than I've ever ever got to be. Um, What's he in now? He's racing go-karts and we're... Dirt, dirt karts and we're just about to put him in a micro, like 600 uh, mini sprint to in America to get him more experience. But... You know, I watch some of the stuff and the manoeuvre and I see him do stuff and I go, how the hell does a kid with very little experience know how to do that? But it goes back to simulators, it goes back to watching YouTube channels and kids growing up around racetracks. So, but it still comes back to knowledge. I mean, <clears throat> when we get these racetracks, racetracks where they're locked down, very forgiving, even though the speeds are enormous, I mean, we can sit there and look at a lot of racetracks and, and the speeds that we're doing but we're not seeing great racing. You know, sometimes things have got to slow down to actually see great racing yeah. because that's when the element of driver and the element of experience comes back into it when it's not forgiving. You know, as I say, right now, a lot of these tracks, and when it rains like this, that you know, racetracks end up just being highway pursuit chases. When you started, I mean, a, a laptop bus, in the bottom yeah. A fast lap time round here would have been around 17 or 18 seconds when you started, sort of thing. No, look, we were getting. <clears throat> I think, I think uh, probably we were around. We were when I started around 13 seconds. Um, I mean, we're a second and a half faster. I mean, technology has changed. Like you got to remember, we were back there when we were running back then. We were running with uh, 650 horsepower. Yes. These kids are running now 900 horsepower. Um, we, you know, we had to get the most out of less horsepower, and it was a little bit easier to drive back then. 
but you know, you've just still got to race within the elements of what's out there. How much more do you think evolution can happen with the cars? I mean, obviously there are rules and regulations on which the cars are built, but as you talk about engine development, tyre development, and all these sort of things, how much more do you think you can happen with these things? Uh, look, it, it's all it's all uh, realistic to what they do with rules and changing rules. I mean, I'll, I'll use America for example. Uh, I set the track record at Knoxville 16 years ago and it only just got broken this year. Oh, wow. So we've gained at least another 100 horsepower from probably 100 to 130 horsepower more than I had when I set that track record. Um, uh, we've tried changing race cars with the wings and the tyres to make the cars have less grip to make the racing better. Um, so, I mean, it, 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 it's up and down. It depends on the whole situation of things. I mean, look, could the... As long as we keep the governing body rules so we don't get, like, supercars, yeah. where... I mean, Speedway's outpricing itself as it is. The world's outpricing itself. Um, you know, you got to still remember, what about the, the days of privateers going to Bathurst and, and journalists like Peter McKay getting in a car and, 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 and racing at Bathurst? We're never, ever going to see those days. I mean, and you're never going to see in supercars a lot of talented kids come through because it's about dollars and cents of what it costs. And even NASCAR in America right now, it's more about whether you've got a sponsor to bring with you to get you in that car because the team owners can't afford to keep running. So I think as long as our governing body keeps the rules pretty close to where we're at, every time you make a rule change, it costs someone money somewhere. It costs the teams money somewhere because we've built a program around this and then we start changing rules. Well, then we're changing rules to bring the cost down well then, all to make them slow, all to make the racing better, and that just ends up costing and costing and costing. So, it's all going to be varied on the rules. It must encourage you the fact that you know there've been three consecutive nights, um, record-sized crowds, record-sized fields, and um, the coverage has been rubbish in terms of the media. Unfortunately, that should change, and, and Speedway Australia needs to do something to address it. Mm -hmm. Speedway's been that way since the 80s the, yeah, yeah we were on top of the world like you know speedway we, we again with people like mike raymond uh, and uh, guys like that we had more media coverage back then yeah. and it was on sports world it was on everything between uh, steve and mike raymond and uh dennis newland and guys like that it's uh yeah but, i mean the team's presentation the team's profiles uh everything has stepped up the sporting the the, the sporting governing bodies the uh, media uh, uh, of every aspect of that has got to step up, but Speedway's always seemed to have been the, you know... Poor cousin. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I was amazed going today. I'd never been to one of those sort of things before, which you obviously have, mm -hmm. um, and I think they've got it named wrongly. It's not Fan Appreciation Day, it's Appreciating Fans Day. Mm -hmm. And to me, the way in which the teams react and the way they show and... and do what they do and it's not just about selling a t-shirt I mean I don't think that for a no. second it's an appreciation of the fact that these fans and I was here this morning at one o'clock and, and saw that full hand I mean yep. these people are devoted to, to seeing the, the success of this sport oh look we're, we're, what's been super cool for us is 
you know, like even seeing it, we're getting a lot of people coming through now that had their photo taken with me when they were five years old, and now they're bringing their five-year-old son over or daughter over to get their photos, and then they're sending them through like the compa- like this is back then, this is now, and um, you know, that's, but it is. It's that I, you won't find a more passionate group of people than Speedway fans. Yeah, I, I agree. Without it's doubt. And one of the great things is somebody who's. You know, I'm a stranger in this paddock, and I don't pretend, but, you know, I can go to a Grand Prix, or I can, you know, go next weekend in New Zealand Grand Prix, and I'm not a stranger there, and people know me and say hello and all that sort of thing. But the thing that I find absolutely stunningly terrific is here, the way in which the fans, you just ask a question, and then suddenly you'll get a whole answer, and it's, it's a complete answer. Yep. Um, and it is because there's a depth of knowledge there and a passion about it, and that's a fantastic thing to see. Oh yeah, and, and you've got to take your, you know it goes back to the pioneers of our sports. You know, my dad, Gary Rush, uh, John Walsh, Brett Lacey, Max Dumpsing, all those guys. They built, you know, and and, and even going further back than that, like back in the Sydney Showground days yeah. with Johnny Stewart, um, Jack Brabham. Yeah. The reason we have fans like this is because those those races gave their time to these fans. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there is a point where some of the younger drivers need to learn a bit of the history of why we have such a big fan base. And it goes back to drivers giving time. It's not always what you do on that racetrack. Indeed. In fact, you, you touch on something that I'm quite passionate about, the history. One of the, uh, the biggest exponents in knowing the history of the past is Shane Van Gisbergen. Mm-hmm. He, he knows what's happened in the past. Yep. And uh, it's a graphic example for these young kids. And uh, look, the wonderful thing is to see Kids like Cam Waters coming and rescuing, putting themselves, you know, out there and saying, "Here, measure me against them," and learning that they have a lot to learn. Yeah, oh look, it is. I mean, and it's and that's where I go back to too. A little bit sad that with the supercar things. Like I was fortunate in the '90s to go and test drive uh, Greg Murphy's Porsche. I got fortunate enough to go and race a super touring car. I've got to be fortunate enough to have a a, a test drive in, in a uh, Group A car back in yeah. the day. I mean, you know, yeah, we're lucky that these guys get to come back and do this. I mean, you know, when you sit there and think about um, <coughs> uh, Derek Walker back in Formula One days, took a $10,000 fine. He, he got fined the first year. He came, was at the Adelaide Grand Prix, the first year we had in Adelaide, jumped in a sprint car at Speedway City. They fined him $10,000. He came back the next year and did it again, knowing he was going to get fined. The third year, they said you're going to get banned. So we, I uh, said, well, maybe the maybe the risk for reward is a little too high on a banned status. But I mean, yeah, look, they, you know, having having those sort of talented guys put themselves out there, you know, it is pretty cool. Look, I, I hope you have a great day tomorrow. Um, it, it wasn't a great day for a lot of reasons before yep. you got around to being on track. Um, thank you very much, Brooke Tatton, for giving me your time. I greatly appreciate it, and um, I hope our listeners will as well. I'm pretty sure they will. Yeah, look, we're having a weekend. It's probably my worst, my worst classic since I was, you know, <laughs> in 30 years. So, um, but you know what? We're still here. We'll still keep fighting away, and we'll keep plugging away, and we'll be back again next year. And the opportunity is there to get a better day tomorrow. Yeah, that's it. You, you never give up in your sport. Thanks for joining us again on Inside Speedway. Until next time round, keep smiling. And bye for now. Tune in next week for more on Inside Speedway. Inside Speedway is produced by Thunder Media. Any reproduction, accounts, or descriptions of the program without written permission from Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia. 
and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now.